But in order to be authentic, you need to be truly who you are. And in order to be, to be who you truly are, you need to have an environment that nourishes that. In today's episode, we speak to entrepreneur and host of the podcast, Millennial Mind, Shivani Pao. In this conversation, Shivani and I both get very real about the double standards we've encountered at work and how we can all find and build safe and supportive work environments that enable our success. So to get us started, we always ask people to introduce themselves because we don't like to define people. We'll let you define yourself however you want to be defined. Okay, cool. So my name is Shivani. I am the podcast host of A Millennial Mind. I'm also the founder of My Performance Planner. And I like to think of myself as a multifaceted entrepreneur. So the reason I wanted to talk to you, in part because of that, because you've created new labels for yourself, right? You've mm-hmm. carved out space and everything from the outside, at least in your career, has been whether you were a consultant working in the corporate world, whether you're coaching people, starting and running your own podcast entirely on your own and building this empire. Um, they're all spaces where you have to like own your power. Yeah. And it's really, really hard to be a woman in power. Mm-hmm. And part of the genesis of even this podcast for us was when I started at Frida about eight months ago, nine months ago, there was this like story that was told about me that I was really scary yeah. I'm not a scary person in any way, I don't think. You're not at all. Um, Thank you. In any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and it was very, like, it was very strange. And it was partly, I think, because people weren't used to seeing a small Asian woman in power. Mm-hmm. And I have the expertise. I know what I think. I have, the, I have good reasons to know what I think. And I just, I existed in that. And that was really, mm-hmm. like, confusing because mm-hmm. I wasn't the norm. And that was the genesis of all of this. Of like, how do I, how do I get to, like, own my power? and not be seen as scary because it's it's almost impossible or bossy or aggressive mm-hmm. like all the labels right absolutely it's funny you say that and i'm i'm very transparent and open on my podcast and sometimes i'm i'm scared to say the truth but i'm going to tell you the truth of of how i kind of transitioned into that i grew up in a family of very overpowering and i say overpowering perhaps a strong word but very dominant men And I guess in our society, we are surrounded by dominant men and very surrounded by shy, quiet, nice, timid women. And my family was exactly like that. However, what I realized was all the men in my family were the ones in power. Mm. They were all scary, but they all had control and they all were respected. And so as a child, I think that I subconsciously tapped into that. And when people called me scary, I see it as a good thing. Hmm. Now, as I've got older, and I say that, that was probably between when I was 13 and about 17. And as I've got older, I realized that, you know, the way in which we label women is so different from the way in which we label men. And we're talking about this from a female perspective. This is not to say men don't have their own stereotypes and their own labels. But what I've recognized is there is such a difference with the exact same action. So I was listening to a podcast with, um, I don't know if you've listened to it with Megan and Serena. Mm. that was the other one when she's scared of hitting the ball exactly but she was labeled as someone who was emotional hysterical and her counterpart who was a male was labeled as passionate Mm -hmm. i see this all the time where it's like you're so bossy and for a man it's you're so authoritative you're so strong you're so sexy you're so powerful and as women i think we need to make a choice we can keep saying everyone else is going to keep labeling us that or we can start to change the narrative. And when someone says that to us, we can say, I am bossy, but I'm also really strong and I'm really passionate. 
And so, yes, I may sometimes be hysterical, but that's because I'm so passionate. Mm-hmm. And we have to start changing those labels ourselves because there's nothing wrong with being strong. Yep. There's nothing wrong with asserting your, asserting your opinion. It's always in the eyes of the beholder. And that's how they say it, right? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And someone can look at you and think, wow, you're so inspiring. And that's how I see women in my life. When I was at work, and I've given this this example many times, but when I was at work and I would see my manager and she was leading a team of people, I would always say, that is someone's mum. That Mm. is someone's wife. How proud must they be? But I don't know what their children and what their husband is thinking. They may be thinking, gosh, she is so dominant. She's so controlling. Gosh, my mum is this, my mum is that but it's all in the way that you're looking at other things. And if you start to reframe and you start to change that narrative, then we can only start to help other people too. So in your mind, you're reclaiming the words as well, right? Like you're you're not trying to deny them in any way. You're not stepping away from bossy. You're not stepping away from aggressive. Of course not. I can be aggressive. Absolutely. I, I know I can be. I'm not saying I love to be aggressive all the time, but I'm also human. And often when I get annoyed or I get frustrated, I can be aggressive. Often I can be bossy in terms of things. And if someone is gonna tell me something negative about myself, I'm gonna look for the positive in that. And I'm gonna compare it to my older self who would think that would be a negative thing. And now I'm thinking, wow, someone's saying I'm particular, someone's saying I'm a perfectionist, Great, amazing. I never was like that about anything in life. And I finally found something that I am about that with. So I'm gonna own it. Why should I deny it? That's really lovely. That's really lovely. But also, I imagine, thinking back to like our 22-year-old selves. Yes. Right, where maybe this happened to you if you were called bossy at 13 or 17, where it definitely did to me, where you're, you're starting your first job or you're in your second, like whatever it is, you're early on, you're the youngest person in the room. Oh, yeah. And if you speak up, it's like, do you, this isn't your place. Like, why are you, why are you talking? And how do you like, how did you claim your power in those moments or did you have to wait until you got to a certain point because that was definitely the case for me like wait until I got to a certain point I I didn't I didn't claim my power I've I've spoken about this example once I I joined my company and the first team that I was part of was six men now all of them were above the age of 40 and I was the only woman of color in that room but also the only woman in that room so I have all of these partners and everyone else there all have been there for years historic and then there's me, who's 26. That's like, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. And we were in a room and I was speaking and the partner said, shh, 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 shh. Now, people watching this podcast are probably thinking, wow, Shivani, you're so strong. I bet you stood up and said, how dare you speak to me like that? Of course I didn't. Right. I turned in, I looked down and I thought, my God, how embarrassing is that? And I didn't say anything. And then we went to a meeting, a client meeting. Bearing in mind, this is my third week at this company, my first project, and I asked a question. And as we came out of the meeting, someone said, which idiot asked that question? No. And in that moment, I was so angry at this build-up of things, because there were a few other things as well. I just said, I was the idiot who asked the question. I said, I didn't know, I didn't know. And he said, well, you made us look like an idiot in front of the client. And I said, well, you should have briefed me before, because I didn't know. And he said, you shouldn't ask questions in the room. And at that point, I should have said, well, how am I meant to learn? Right. Or why am I in the room if I'm not supposed to speak? But I didn't. I said, okay. And I kept it going. And I remember there was this one like moment. And I think in life, whenever you make like, some kind of decision or you finally stand up to yourself, there's always one final breaking moment, right? And so I remember it was 
a couple of days before Christmas and we were in a meeting and I wrote, we are so excited to release this product because I was doing the comms. And I must have said, we're looking forward to, we're excited to, we're excited to, or something like that. In like a long email, by the way. And I remember the team laughing and there was four men and they were like, oh my God, we're so happy. We cannot wait to release this. And I sat there in silence. And I remember after that, I called my manager and I said, this is unacceptable. Right. This is unacceptable. I've, I've got to a point now where I haven't said anything because I'm worried about there's a partner in the room that's laughing at me. But at what point do I not say anything? I'm the youngest person in this team. I'm the only woman in this team. I have just joined this company. Take me off this project. Mm. And I remember having that conversation. She said, why didn't you say anything before? And I remember thinking, well, no one would have listened to me. But then you have to remember it's, no one is a mind reader. No one has the power to read your mind, but everyone has the power to use their voice. And we need to be strong enough in order to have those conversations. And, you know, confrontation is something I speak about a lot. I believe it is the number one catalyst in creating an incredible culture that values its people. But I also really believe that there are times in which you confront a situation and there are people that you confront. If I had confronted that man who was in my team, nothing would have happened from it. Right. And he would have been defensive. But that's also my assumption. I also want to say that. I did confront my manager around it and she did say, should I say something? To which, again, I'm fearful. No, 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 no. Right. Don't say anything. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to say anything. I just wanted to let you know. Yep. Right? And again, that fear was there. And there are going to be situations in life where I'm also going to face, where I'm going to be scared again. And that's okay. I think it's important to remember we're all on a journey. And so looking at someone online, listening to him, me speak here today and listening to you speak, doesn't mean they have to follow the same path. Yeah. Sometimes we can take control immediately and sometimes it takes us time. And it's not a simple journey with anything. You know, you're gonna have ups and downs. And so for me, I always now reflect back on those moments and I think, I wish I had said something, I wish I had said something. But you weren't at the point where you could say no. something. And like, I have my own version of that story, which I was telling some of the team about today where I was 23, 24, and I had a man call a meeting to ask my opinion on something. Right. Always an interesting start. Senior person Very called a meeting. Very excited to hear the story. Right? And the meeting was with other people at my level and him, mm -hmm. senior person, and he presented an idea, asked for my opinion, and I raised some concerns about the idea. And he turned to everyone else in the room and said, Masuma doesn't matter. Her opinion is not important. We don't need to care about what she thinks. And I had great managers at the time who like heard about it, not even from me. They, someone else like told, because it was also an open meeting space and someone else, like the message was relayed and they were like, okay, we, we need to act on this. And I was like, well, I don't want this man to like, you know, be reprimanded like in a public way because yes. it'll come back to me. Well, what can we do? As you're telling me. And what can we do? And the solution we came up with was a protective solution for me if you're not going to be in a room with him again. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, but this man runs a lot of projects. So I am now not, I don't have access to the opportunities that being in the room with the man would entail. And maybe what's actually better is I just suck it up and I, I go into that room mm. and I exist in that room with him with the idea that like in six months, in a year, I end up in a place where I don't have to be in the room with the man again. Right? And what about all the other women who are in yep. a room with him? What happens to them? And he does this again and again. Because it's how how do you like how do you navigate those situations? I, I feel like is the hardest part when you have less power, mm. 
-hmm. and you're doing the maths that both of us did in those moments of like do i speak up yet Ooh, maybe not yet maybe let's let's figure it out but also we both had supportive managers right Mm -hmm. if you don't how do you just sustain yourself how do you keep going it's really tough because because looking at that from the outside in i i feel that with so many things in life Whoever has committed the crime, I'm just going to say it in a, in a very black and white way, whoever has done something wrong, we're always looking to protect them, right? And it's always, we're always thinking, oh, but we don't want to upset them, or we don't want them to not be in the room anymore, or we don't want them to feel embarrassed for what they've done. They should feel embarrassed for what they've done. And, you know, I, you said a few times we both had supportive managers. It's debatable. Because a supportive manager and someone who is there to protect you, you know, hearing that, I did not know it was going to go in that in that direction, by the way, when you said yeah. the story, when you said, for someone to say that your opinion doesn't matter, to know that you are not welcomed in a room is totally different from being, I thought you were going to say something like, okay, we'll come back to that and mm. we'll park it. I mm. thought he would at least dismiss you in a nice yeah. way. But to do that is so shocking. And for not one person in the room to say something is alarming. And this is the thing. I remember doing a talk um, at a company and I was speaking about confrontation and I was speaking about how for women it's so difficult to raise their voices and a man in the room raised his hand. Of course. It's a good story. Okay. And he said, what can I do to help? And he, I explained the story yeah. about the sh and the hand. I love that story. It's actually, you know, I always look at these experiences and think, wow, how amazing this happened to me because I have so many nice stories to tell. Well, not nice, but you know. <laughs> you have so many stories to tell, exactly. yeah. Exactly. But I remember saying that story and someone said, okay, well, if that happened when I was in the room, what do you think I should do? Mm. And this is where I said, look, people are different. So some people in that moment where that man said Sh- to me and put his hand up at me, some people would have wanted someone to say something to that man in that moment. I particularly wouldn't want that to happen because I also believe that we are products of our environment and we have been raised sometimes with in like four walls where we don't know any different and that's not to excuse behavior it's more that if somebody makes a mistake I naturally unless I'm so angry about it don't believe in like publicly condemning them because sometimes you don't know if they've done it with the right intention or not So what I always say is have a conversation with that person after and say, would you like me to go and say something to him? Mm -hmm. Or would you like me to next time step in? How would you have preferred that, right? Because you're giving them that choice. Or would you like to deal with it in your own way and not have me say anything at all? Because sometimes it can backfire and someone can think, well, now you're taking my voice away from me and I didn't have the chance to say something. And so there's two lenses. So I think it's really important to first of all know what you want in that situation and you're never going to know what you want until you're in the situation so it's important to always reflect but my advice is always go to someone who you can trust and someone there should be always someone senior in every team you should not work for an organization where you don't feel like you can raise your voice you just should not because the, the moment you feel that you cannot use your voice and you cannot raise how you feel is the moment where you will start to feel resentful, the moment where your creativity will be killed, the moment in which you're silenced. And nobody wants to work in an organization where no one is really being explicit about the truth. And so I would always say that there should be somebody that's senior in the team that is able to have those conversations. And within every layer of the organization, there should be someone that should be able to have that open dialogue. And it's everybody knows that they should say how they feel. 
and everybody wants to say that they're authentic and authenticity is thrown around all the time every moment you'll see it now when people say what's your biggest strength authenticity what's your biggest weakness i'm a perfectionist right they're hand in hand but in order to be authentic you need to be truly who you are and in order to be to be who you truly are you need to have an environment that nourishes that you need to feel safe exactly but it's also really hard right like we can talk here and theorize and yes and then you think about someone who's sitting and listening to this or watching this and they're in an environment where they don't feel safe Mm -hmm. and that doesn't just have to be the workplace it can also be the world at large right like all the systems that exist around us the patriarchy there's there's so much that exists that will tell a lot of people that their voices don't matter Mm -hmm. and that we fit into a specific box mm-hmm. based on our gender or based on our sexuality or based on our race. Like there's so many different boxes, right? So many so categories. And then how do you keep going? I remember I said this quote, and I'm not sure if I'm going to forget it, but some, I remember saying this on my podcast and someone had said, I saw it on Instagram and someone had said, if you think I'm too much, why don't you go somewhere else and be less? Something like that. that. And I remember reading that quote, if you think I'm too much, you go and be less somewhere Mm -hmm. else. So it was like, you are the one that's less. I'm not too much. I'm just the way I'm meant to be. And I think that we're always thinking that we are the problem. We are too much. But actually, it's other people's narrow views and narrow opinions. And why should you let them matter? You know, I really believe we have one life. And I know you're probably thinking, this is all great, this is all motivation, it's lovely to hear it, but only you can control how you feel, mm-hmm. you know? Only I, I can sit here and tell you all of the most amazing quotes and tell you, you should be empowered and you should be strong and you will have that power inside you, but you do have the power inside you. No one was born out of the womb strong, right? I did not come out of the womb and I was not confident. Yeah. I learned how to do it. I built that skill. And for so long, I struggled with that. I struggled with self-confidence. I've always been someone who's loved public speaking, but I struggled to express how I used to feel. To this day, I still struggle to sing. I used to, I went up to like grade eight and singing, but I cannot sing in front of other people because I feel shy. And when people say that, they think, what, see me and they say that, and I say that, they're thinking, what on earth, you are shy? But it's a spectrum. And you have to take those small steps. So if you're sitting at home and feeling stuck, if you're sitting at home and not feeling safe, if you're thinking, how can I raise my voice? You need to take back that power and first work within those limiting beliefs that you have, that you are too much, that you are difficult, that you are a troublemaker. Because only you will will know how you feel and only you can control that. (laughs) But I want to start with the word strong Mm. because it's interesting how there's even like one not one definition, but one kind of definition of strength, right? And power. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, it's so gendered and it's so like exists in the binary, which yes. most of us don't exist in a simple binary, but um, strength and power is very much like the lean in, be aggressive, that mm-hmm. whole narrative, right? And not be empathetic, not be kind, none of that. And in my mind, like reclaiming the narrative and reshaping the narrative is also owning some of that. You look at the world leaders, you look at Jacinda, Asana, like they're, they're leaders who are starting to, to exemplify that on public stage. But then you, you dial it back to like whoever's watching this and thinking, okay, this is me like going into that meeting with the executives and I have to be a certain way to be taken seriously. And like... There's, there's the limiting beliefs, but there's also the reality of the system we exist in, right? For sure. And 
how have you been able to like exist in all the, all the ways in which your power exists, right? Like how have you owned that space and been a human basically? I think, I think what you're asking maybe is around authenticity and how do you remain authentic when you're going into a room and you feel that you have to fit into a certain way, yep. right? And so I feel that, you know, when I was working in the corporate world, whenever I've been in a podcast, whenever I've been, you know, in a room with powerful people, I've always remembered that I was chosen to be there. I was asked to be there. And every single time I'm nervous around a workshop, you know, these workshops came around to me so unexpectedly. I got a message on LinkedIn from someone saying, hey, we saw your podcast, we'd love you to come and speak around something. And I remember thinking, what, what me, why? Yeah. And just before, I remember, I remember being like, I was asked to be here. Now McKinsey is, you know, one of the most amazing consultancies in the world. And I've always in my life never been academic. Mm. And I've always thought I wasn't clever. And when I was asked to speak at McKinsey, to run a workshop there for their employees, I thought it was a fake email. And I remember being so nervous to go on the call. It was in the US. So it was a 10 o'clock UK time. I go to sleep at 9.30 anyway. So I had about five coffees already. I was so <laughs> nervous. But I remember thinking, they asked me to come. So they don't know all of my content. They don't know everything I'm going to say. But they asked me to be here for a reason. So am I going to give them a reason that they shouldn't have told me to be here? Right. And I think that it's important when you're going into a room, when you're going into a role, in anything you're part of, you have been asked to be there, some way or the other. The universe has also put you there, right? right? I have been wanting, I've been watching your videos from Frida for years. And for me, I've been thinking one day when I used to make those videos in lockdown, I used to think, oh gosh, I wish, you know, I could go there one day. Now, today to come here, I could think, oh my God, I can't believe they invited me. You know, they maybe they're only doing it because of this or maybe because of this or, you know, maybe because now my podcast is getting some attraction or maybe it's because you listened to my conversations and you didn't know about me before and actually you value me. I can choose the narrative I choose to come with. And I think we all have that choice. When you walk into a room, what do you want to, you know, be remembered for? Be that person. So there's there's our narrative. There's the narrative of the world around us. They're often different. Sometimes yes. not in the bad, like sometimes the world sees something that we, are, we aren't claiming ourselves, right? It, it can be any which way, but there's multiple narratives generally. And you walk into that room and you have your narrative and everyone has their narrative. Mm -hmm. And like the experience you described of being the tick boxes of diversity, right? The young woman, woman yes. of color, person like the only one, very familiar. For, <laughs> and for so many people, I'm sure, where you walk into the room and you're like, okay, this is me, great. I mm -hmm. have to be confident. I have to own myself. I believe I deserve to be here. And then someone asks you to bring the tea because you're the, you're the young woman in the room and they don't mm. think you deserve a seat at the table. And... My approach very often has been people underestimate me, fine. I will take that, right? I'll mm -hmm. take that and I'll turn it on them. Mm -hmm. So they can think that I'm like, I'm stupid and I'll go with it. Mm -hmm. But it's, that also takes time to get to that point where you're like, okay, this is, this is not true, but this is a narrative I can use to get me where I need to go. You're right. And I think this is also that I do remember being in a similar situation like that. And then I feel I have to justify and make sure I speak up and put my hand up in a meeting. And it is unfair. Yeah. And, you know, it's also very, I guess, prominent in, in family life too, you know. And often I've learned now to say, well, you know, you can go get it yourself. But then again, it's you're so difficult. And mm -hmm. I specifically remember being told to help clean up the dishes one day with, when we went away with, you know, a lot of us. And there was about 30 people there. And all the girls had helped at lunch. And I said, well, can the boys help at dinner? 
And someone turned around and said to me, are you going to treat your husband like that? And I said, treat him like what? And they said, are you going to treat him like that, that you're not going to do everything? And I remember saying, do I work? Do I work? Or do I stay at home? Am I a housewife? I'm not married, by the way. But, you know, do, is, that what, is, is that my role? Because I do the exact same thing as a man does. So why is it my responsibility to do that? And then there's always like, oh, God, I give up with you. And you have to, you know, for, for years and years, and still to this day, if someone says that to me, I, I feel very upset and I feel this, you know, guilt, which I think a lot of women feel because it's ingrained in us to be a certain way. And we also subconsciously want to be people pleasers and fit into that stereotype. And we want to do both. Sure, I'll go and get the tea for you, but I'm also going to make sure I prove well, you wrong We want to be liked, meeting. right? Like, you well, want to be liked, and also you want to own your own identity and yeah. be treated equally, and it's... It's true, and that's why a lot of women in that meeting, when you're saying, go and get the tea, won't say, why should I get the tea? It's, I'll get the tea, but I'm going to prove you wrong, and I'm going to be the best right. woman in this room, and you're going to know that I can do both, because I want to make sure that I'm making, making it clear that I can do both, instead of setting a boundary. It's also... Do I want to make the I'm not getting the tea the only thing I say in this room, right? Like, does that become what you remember me for? Because we have this, like, fight at the beginning and then you don't hear anything else I say. Yes, and which it will, because that's what everyone else will remember. Even if you gave a speech that someone said, wow, she thought of a billion-dollar idea, but, you know, at the start she was so funny because she was so aggressive because she didn't get the tea. And this is where we need the male allies in our life to stand up and say, you know, no, she was right for not doing that. I saw this meme of this guy and he was making a video around how he was so sick and tired of people telling him when he got married that his life was over and that, you know, uh, you're going to have to start sacrificing your time. And he said, I'm going to have to start sacrificing my time. He said, I just married this girl. She moved from a different country to live in my house with my parents and you're telling me my life is over and I have to sacrifice. He was like, it's, you know, for so long I thought it was a joke. But it isn't a joke because it's misogyny. And we're all playing into this patriarchal system. And unless I speak up as a man, then I'm just being a bystander. And I think that's so powerful is we need more men in our lives to help us reclaim our power too. I think it's men and women, right? Or all genders where I think about a man in a meeting once, again, when I was very young, I sat at the the corner of the room because I didn't belong Mm -hmm. at the table and he gave up his seat for me. And I was like, oh, you're literally giving me your seat at the table. Wow. And it was it was a symbolism more than me being like he still spoke (laughs) way more than I did. Right. But I had a seat at the table and everyone else saw him give me that seat at the table, which was Mm -hmm. the second part of it, Mm -hmm. where it wasn't just that I was at the table. It was everyone saw him do that and was like, oh, yeah. But this is, again, another double standard, right? Men are empathetic. Oh, my God, he's so nice. Mm hmm. A man's like holding his baby. Wow, he's such a good dad. He drops him to school. What's the mum doing? Oh, she's working. Oh, she's so disconnected. And this is the problem. There's so many different words and standards and variables that go into this. It's not just so clean cut. But even with that, if someone's empathetic towards you, they're like automatically they love you. And for women, if you're empathetic, you're so emotional. Well, you're weak, of course. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you like how do you get through that on a daily basis? Well, you know, I again, I always see it as a strength. So recently I did a podcast with this guy called Zizo and I asked him the same question. And I said, you know, men men's mental health, you know, is, is an epidemic in this country. Mm-hmm. A lot of men are suffering. And one of the main reasons they feel they can't one of the main reasons I believe that they're suffering is because they can't express their emotions. And as he was speaking, he said, I remember I was in this fight and I started crying. He was a boxer, by the way, not just a street fight. 
And I said, well, how did you express your emotions? And he said, strength is knowing who you are and me expressing my, my emotions is power. It is strength. It is what a real man is. Yeah. He said, there's nothing unmanly about me crying and showing my emotion because I care. And he said, that is what defines a real man because you're being true, you're being honest because we all have feelings and you can suppress them as much as you like to the outside world, but inside you're feeling them. And if you're faking that and you're not being authentic, then who's being like the who's there? Yeah. Not, right. There's also, there's, there are the two voices and there's the voice, there are all the voices of the world, right? Yes, Which of is course. <laughs> often they're the ones that are, that are backing up and echoing the voice that is telling you to be smaller. Exactly. And it's, it's almost like it takes a certain amount of arrogance to mm. say, here is the chorus of voices telling me to be small and silent, but you know what? Like I deserve to take up the space and I deserve to be here. And it's, it feels like a little bit mad where you're like, okay, this is everyone else around me is, is saying, nah, like closing the door in my face. Mm-hmm. But I know that I belong in that room or I know I matter. And it's, it's hard to kind of get there because, you know, when I started my podcast, everyone said to me, you know, you're never going to get anywhere. It's just a hobby. What are you doing with this? How are you, how are you ever going to manage it all? You know, everyone said that to me. Really? Everyone. And everyone said, you will never make a full-time job from it. It is just your hobby. Just always remember that. And I said, okay. But I was doing it because I loved it. And so there was no pressure of me to think this is going to be my full-time job. And now I still have people that say to me, what do you do again? You know, are you really, do you really make money from that? And I actually still to this day don't really make any money from my podcast. But I don't care. Because I even said to you before, I believe in myself now. And I didn't at the beginning. And so this is what I mean. It's not a switch. It's not going to be one time one yeah. time where your voice of you telling you to take that risk is going to be louder than the rest. It took me two years to quit my job. Right. And I was still petrified. And now, you know, when I have a day like today, you know, I, I reflect on a day today. This morning I had a coaching session. This afternoon I'm with you. And yeah. this evening I have a podcast with a dream guest. It's a Monday. I used to hate Mondays. Right. But I took the risk and I believed in myself. And I'm the person that I spend the most time with. So we can say the outside noise is, you know, really loud and that can be overbearing and and I'm not excusing that. What I'm saying though is you can either, you know, follow that noise or you can create your own. Yeah. And we all have the power to choose the voice that we want to listen to. And we all have the power to take control of our own lives. We can't wait for someone else to do it. I really like the idea also of like, what what are you going to listen to all the time? Because at the end of the day, you're stuck with yourself. Yeah. And you have to... And part of that also, to me, sounds like you have to surround yourself with people. There's so much of the narrative of like, especially with women in leadership and power, women taking up space. It's very gendered, but there's only space for one of us, right? Or like, there's only a certain type of person. And it's right. it's gendered for men as well. There's only one type of man. There's only one type of woman. There's in the mm-hmm. binary, like this is, if you don't yes. fit that narrative definition, that's, well, you don't belong. And people tearing each other down. Yeah. But... The way I see it, at least, is there, there's space for everyone at the table. Let's build a new table if there isn't enough space at the table. Exactly. And I think about, I think it was the Obama White House. The women had this thing, which it's funny that it was the Obama White House that this happened in, where you would <laughs> think it was like a bastion of progressive everything. But they realized that in meetings, they had to back each other up. Otherwise, they got talked over. So you say something, man responds. And I'm like, no, did you hear Shivani? She had a great idea. And... And then I say your idea, giving you credit. And it's like, okay, now two of us are speaking. And then a third person says, wow. oh, did you, did you hear what they said? That's a great idea. So we, like, we hold space for each other 
because together we have a voice. That is amazing. But it's also really hard to find the people to do that with, right? Oh, definitely. And we need to be vulnerable. You know, I, I think that so much has changed for me because I found someone in my life that finally supported me and believed in me. You know, I was in a relationship before and everything I did would be, well, you know, I don't know if you should do that. You're, you're not that so girl. hard. And now I'm with someone who, whenever I'm saying I'm nervous, he, he, he's the one that reinforces, you know, you're, you, you got chosen to be here. You were asked to be here. I'm so proud of you. You're doing so well. You're at the start. Don't worry. And having that constant affirmation is really important, but not everyone in their life has that. I didn't for so many years. And it's really important to find someone in that space. And it's often people, and, and you'll be surprised that, you know, you can meet someone on social media who's in the same space as you. And this is what I mean. Everyone has their own insecurity. And if you're vulnerable and you share that with someone that you trust and it's a safe space, then you can encourage each other because that, like you've just said in the White House, is so powerful. And you create that bond with someone and someone will never forget how you made them feel in that moment. And so you know they'll always have your back going forward too. How do you figure out who to reach out to though? Because most people aren't, there are people like you who's, who's living it is a little bit to like yes. be vulnerable, right? But a lot of people are in an office or are starting out on their own and they're like, I don't really know. Like most people have, the, the image we project into the world is very curated generally, very like I've got my shit together. This is, this is me at my best, all filtered and perfect. But I'm a human inside and I'm not going to tell anyone about that. And it's really hard sometimes for people to figure out how do I find my community? How do I find the people going through the things I'm going through? It's so true. I mean, you know, in, there's, there's two elements. I'll talk about it in terms of like a social element. In terms of social, I think it's very easy now to follow where, you know, the things that you're interested in. It's easier to find like meetings, hashtags, meetups, events for all of those things. So in the wellness space, there's loads of events you can go to. And again, it's hard to kind of be brave and, and have that conversation, but that is a way for you to do it. And then at work, I think it's even harder within your team if you've been working there for ages or you're brand new to find a tribe, essentially. Now, one exercise I always think is really powerful that you can take to a leader within your team is say, I've been thinking about strengths-based leadership and I believe each of us have a strength. And I think what would be really powerful is if we all have a conversation around all of our strengths or we all share something that we believe we see a strength in someone else. So I could say to you, I think you're a great public speaker or a great host. And in turn, you could say something about me. That's created a bond between us. Mm. And if you're brand new, it's a great way of introducing someone because now you can rely on each other for each other's strengths instead of going to your manager. So it's a great way to you know, have that initial conversation of, I see that strength in you. And then someone can be vulnerable and say, I see that strength in you. I wish I could have that. Can you teach me? Right. I'm struggling with this. Automatically, you get a bond. And so it's really powerful, you know, in both ways. If you're vulnerable with someone, 99% of the time, if they're a good person, not a lunatic, they will be vulnerable back with you and that will create a connection. Generally, it's just the first step, right? Yes. Like just believing enough to... Of course. Yeah. So one of the things that I really struggle with is, this is not like me asking you for advice, <laughs> what all of this is, um, is when you're the only one in the room sometimes, you get that... And it's, it's a yes and for me where it's both, right? Where you get told sometimes, well, you don't have to just do it for yourself, right? Like, think about all the other women mm-hmm. you're opening doors for. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. And also, I'm a person. And I'm finding it really hard. And, like, making sure you're not existing for, like, your legacy. Yes. And also existing as a human. And, like, 
not being tokenized in the way of like we had another guest in the podcast who was like well i can't be all women and i can't be all queer people and i can't be all people of color like there's too many humans i have to represent and i'm just one person of course right and that often happens when when you're the only one like you in any room where you kind of have to bear the burden carry the weight and hopefully open the door create a new table all of that but also how like how do you manage to do both right like maintain yourself to self mm-hmm even when it's hard. Yes. No one is time to step away, because that's part of it, I think. Now, if I'm in a room, and generally people know me as the person who's always gonna say something, and therefore I have always have to bear the brunt of it, I guess, I have to also remember that I'm not a perfect human being. And when there's some kind of injustice or an argument, I'm not everyone's therapist, I'm not everyone's you know, agony aunt, and I can't always be expected to kind of step in. And I think I've made that quite clear now in terms of other things. And I also have to hold back and not act. So if something is going on and I don't believe that I want to say something in that moment because I don't have that energy or I don't have the time or I don't want to be involved for whatever reason that is, that's my choice. And it's uncomfortable and hard and it happens very rarely if I'm completely honest. But I always do have a conversation after to say, I felt really uncomfortable in that moment because I wanted to say something. And this goes back to the example I gave you around when you should ask that person if you want them to interject. Mm -hmm. So this has happened to me when I've said, I thought you were being really disrespected here. I didn't want to interject because it's an issue between you two. But next time, would you like me to say something? And that person has said no. And in that moment, I've said, well, you have to take the responsibility then if you're going to be in that situation to stand up for yourself. You can't rely on me. Right. right and they've said no I don't rely on you and I say you know in that situation I can no longer be in that room because it angers me and I have to say something so you know it happens I don't know if we're talking about it in an ad hoc way as such but I guess in an ad hoc way if you're feeling that you always need to take the responsibility you don't because you're not the martyr for everyone you know you're not the spokesperson for every single issue that happens in the world and that's sometimes the same in a room if someone is speaking around something and they're looking to you to kind of for your guidance, unless they're directly asking you, and if you don't feel comfortable, you shouldn't share. But afterwards, if you felt, you know, you wanted to have a conversation, you should have that conversation with them privately. I think a lot of this is also coming back to the, the idea of knowing when to say no, which mm-hmm. off camera we were also talking about knowing how to quit, right? Yeah. Knowing how to step away and owning your power is also learning how, where to direct it, right? Absolutely. Because otherwise it's spread in several different directions yeah and i imagine for most people you get to a point eventually where you realize this is the thing i want to do Mm. this is where i want to direct my energy my my power my expertise i want to spend my hours learning about this speaking about this doing this but for the people who are maybe earlier on in their journey and saying i don't know which direction to go in Mm -hmm. there's like you i have so many things i'm doing right i have so many hats i'm wearing and i can tell that like i'm I'm doing everything maybe 30 percent, and i could instead do one thing 100 percent, or two Mm -hmm. things at 50 percent, and suddenly there's more of me to give and more of me to direct my energy in this direction and start owning these labels or creating reimagining how i exist in a space how do you start to figure out at the beginning which directions to go in you know, I had this, we were talking about this off camera, but I had this last year. You know, I had my podcast, I had my coaching business, I had my job, and I had a performance planner. And I remember I was, I thought that I was doing so much every single day, but the output was, you know, nothing. I wasn't achieving anything in either of those. I was mediocre in everything. And I remember thinking, okay, I have to choose. 
I'm just going to give it one last shot with the podcast because I love it so much. I'm going to give it one last shot so was, and I'm going to because, just focus. Sorry to cut Come you on. off. Because I love it so much, was that the thing? Yeah, I think there's a mix of things. Because I love the podcast so much and I never wanted to give that up, I really needed to focus on that. I loved my planner, but I don't love selling and I don't love marketing and I don't love, I don't know anything about e-commerce. So that was an X. Mm. And with the coaching, I love it. But again, I have to, you know, sell and I have to, you know, do a lot of marketing. And I also didn't love doing that. So what do I love doing? My podcast. So why don't I focus on that? And you have to just try it for a little period of time. If you have multiple things you're doing, I would say focus on the thing you love the most. Focus on one of the things that, you know, you can make a matrix. What do I love the most? What's easiest? What's the quickest? What's the fastest? What's the hard? Whatever's important to you. High revenue generating. Whatever is important to you, right? Because everyone has different priorities. For me, it was what do I love and what am I good at? So that's the second piece, right? Where you mentioned the the sales side, the marketing side. I'm sure you're good at both, but it's not where you're like, your heart is or where you want to spend your time. Yeah. So it's what do I love and what am I good at? And that's, is that how you've made every decision? No, absolutely not. I, w- I wish I had. I think generally in terms of prioritization, I've had to go by those two things. And then this year when I've, you know, I've, as we were speaking, I feel like now I've gone back to that. But now I've added workshops, corporate workshops, you know, other things on top of that. And I've now had to think, what can I outsource? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I'm in a privileged position. I say that because... I believe that if I outsource some things, then I will get revenue from them. So a lot of people aren't in that position where they perhaps have a product yet, where they know that if they spend more money on marketing or sales that they will be able to pay that back. It's still a risk for me and that is uncomfortable. I still need to you know, outsource my planner. I still need to outsource my podcast, some of it. It is hard, but I know that now, if I want to scale, if I want to grow, I cannot keep doing everything myself. I cannot split myself up into five pieces. And when you when even step back a moment before in time where you decided to quit your job, mm. right? We skimmed past that a little bit. And <laughs> I'm curious about what am I good at? What am I passionate about? You have your job. It's how does the, the decision to step away? So you've, you've decided what to choose. Yes. But choosing also means leaving something behind. Right. I don't think I've told a lot of people the story, but... Um, it wasn't an easy decision and I didn't know what I was going to do. Can I be honest? It wasn't, you know, I'll do my podcast. I wasn't making money for my podcast. I had set up though, whilst I was working different revenue streams, right? And I remember sitting down one day and thinking, okay, these are my revenue streams. This is what I'm earning now. This is what I need to earn in each of those streams to make sure I'm matching my salary. How am I going to do that? I'd been thinking about this for years. I wanted, I took a sabbatical, didn't achieve anything, went back to work. I caught, I remember doing the TSB workshop virtually and it was around goal setting and I finished the workshop and it was on Teams and all of the comments were like, wow, that was amazing. You opened my eyes. This was transformational. Thank you so much for the organizer for organizing it. All these really positive comments. I had to get changed and I went straight into work and I was so pumped at work. I was like, going to a client meeting and I remember I was so excited I was in the room and as I sat in the room, I had to present. And I presented and I was so enthusiastic because I was on a high from this workshop that nobody knew I did in my lunch break. And after I presented, they said, all right, cool, let's just move on. And someone else presented. And I remember thinking, hold on, I've just presented something and I got so much praise and everyone loved what I was doing and I made an impact. Mm -hmm. People said they were going to act on something. And I've just presented something that makes, 
you know, no change to anything. It was just numbers. It was rubbish. And I remember, I remember in that moment thinking, where am I valued? Why am I doing this? I have the power to make someone's day better. And I'm choosing to come here and talk about rubbish. And it was a few more times that I did that. And then I thought, you know, this is ridiculous. I have one life. And I remember I used to finish my podcast and I feel so happy and I feel so empowered. And every single person on my podcast was an entrepreneur of some sort. And they would say to me, I just took the risk. I took the leap. And I felt so good. And I never regretted it. And hearing that week on week, you know, this is where I say knowledge is power. Hearing them saying, you'll be okay. Go for it. Go for it. And if you look at my podcast, at the end of every podcast, I say, I'm going to take that risk. I'm going to do it one day. Next time you see me, I'll do it. And I remember thinking to myself, why not? Why don't I take the risk? Because one day I have to decide, do I want to be the number one podcaster in the world? Or do I want to be the number one consultant in the world? I am never even going to be a partner. I don't want to be a partner, but I could be a number one podcast. I could be. And isn't it better to take that risk and decision? And you also have to be very tactical with the risks. I can't just say, you know, okay, we'll see how it goes. I'll manifest my life, whatever. I had to have a runway, so I saved for a long time. I had to make sure that I'd worked out a plan and I had to also give myself a timeline, which was a year. Okay. And I will also say one thing, when I took my sabbatical, everyone said, you'll always go back. And I said, no, I won't, I'll never go back. I'm taking a sabbatical. But that safety of having that job there stops you from taking those risks stops you from sending those emails, stops you from putting a hand up in a room because you know you've always got it. Subconsciously, everyone told me and I thought, no way, you're wrong. Taking a sabbatical is just as scary as quitting. But when I quit, there was no going back. And it was also not just from myself, it was all the noise from the outside. I told you, I knew it wasn't gonna work. I still have that fear now. Will I ever go back? Who knows? Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Shivani for this conversation. To learn more about Shivani and where you can follow her or listen to her podcast, check out our show notes.